All right, everybody, I say wait, and you say what? Wait. What? You got to say it like that. What? Wait. What? All right, the title of my sermon this morning is, Oh My Word. Say that with me. Oh My Word. Wait. What? Come on, you're slow to the draw. Wait. What? Turn and tell somebody, can it get any cheesier in here? I want to talk to you this morning, and so I've got, I got a series that I got to preach in the next 45 minutes, and um, my, I'm, I'm full. I have more verses than I should have in one sermon, but here we go. I'm speaking to your spirit, not to your mind, and um, when we, every Sunday, when, when I come and bring the word, I deal with the same things every pastor deals with in a culture that says this is true um, or this is true when we know no this is true Amos said the word of God is like a plumb line this is a modern plumb line we know how to tell what level is what true plumb is and so we have in our culture a culture saying this is or this is or there is no such thing and so pastors around the country Here's our choice. Every, and many of them, they're going, okay, we know this is what the culture is saying is true, but we know this is the truth. Maybe if we just preach them to hear. And if they hang around long enough, the Holy Spirit will help them get to hear. And we know when we call this truth, they're not getting to hear. And so this morning, like with our men's ministry, you know how we roll around here. Like we, we bring the word, like 114 men, 6 a.m. on Thursdays, and we're talking about the blessed life, calling them to stewardship. And I know that's a big ask. I know that's not a banana split on Thursday mornings at 6 a.m. And so here's what the word of God does to us. And I know that if this is where the culture is and we got to get you here, I know that there, there's, a, there's a stretch and that... A congregation can only be stretched so far at a certain pace. But what I don't want to do, I don't want to stretch you too far at one time, but nor do I want to let you shrink up and have your faith atrophy and you have no muscles. And so this morning, I'm just acknowledging to you that I'm bringing a, a strong word, and it's going to be a word that you, you'll have to listen closely. This isn't a TED Talk with three points and a cute poem and a sweet story about my dog to end the sermon with this morning, honestly, because that's, that's the temptation in this culture. And um, C.S. Lewis and others, just recently, I'm reading about Leonard uh, Ravenhill and Spurgeon, and w when the culture calls for a TED Talk, you've got to resist that temptation, and you've got to bring the word of the Lord. And so this morning, when I talk about, oh, my word, I, 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 it's, a, it's a strong call, and if you can get it, it's the difference between you and the level where you're living now and the level where God wants you to live. How many of you want to live where he wants you to live? And you know, this is it. This is the measurement. Come on, are you serious? Just open your heart. Just tell the Lord. That's, that's what you want. Amen. And so as much as the pastor of this church harps on the word of God like that's the only sermons he knows read the word stay full of the spirit so you can do what the word says 
As much as the pastor of this church harps on the word of God, it still goes underappreciated, overlooked, and dismissed. And the pastor does not put too much emphasis on the word. That's not possible. You have to ask yourself, why is the Bible the best-selling book of all time? Not just all time, but every year, it's always, every year, it's the best-selling book. Something's up with the word of God. Oh, my word. Paul said in Colossians, I want you to notice these two things. First, verse 15, he says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Just let it. And then the next verse, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And notice, it's like they're backwards. If you'll... It's like Paul mentioned, hey, just let the peace of God rule. It's like he forgot the order. It's like, oh, but first, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, because that will dictate how you manage the chaos in your life. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about receiving the word. And the word is powerful. The word, it's a book about love. God's love for you. That's the big story in the Bible. And that's why Satan hates the Bible. Do you know Satan hates the word of God? And it started in Genesis 3. The first thing he said was he challenged the word. First thing we have recorded, he said on planet earth was, did God really say? And we see that's his strategy. And it goes all the way to Revelation chapter 20 where Jesus finally says to Satan, you're done, your time is over. It's like, you said, did God really say? And the last thing we see is the word of God saying, hasta luego, hasta nunca, we'll never see you again, Satan. I don't know about you, but even right now, I get excited. Can you, I can't wait till that, when Satan is over and done with. Um, but in between now and that time, like that's, that's our nemesis, that's our adversary. And um, when we look at the Bible, the first chapter, the, the first chapter is what our culture is attacking. And you've got to understand the three foundational truths from Genesis chapter one. The first one is God is the creator of the universe and everything in it. Here's what we're being told today. Science disproves the Bible. And science has proven evolution, the theory of evolution. And we all know we can trust science, right? It'll help us flatten the curve. The whole point of evolution, though, is to discredit the Word of God. 38% of Americans right now believe in creationism. When you teach people that they came from animals, don't be surprised when they start acting like animals. Evolution is a lie. It's a theory, and the Bible is 100% accurate. Any person with integrity and honesty, in any sense of IQ, when you study evolution, the Big Bang Theory, you know it takes more faith to believe that than it does that the Bible is true, amen? amen. Evolution is a lie. The Bible is 100% accurate. Every cell in every person's body right here has six billion letters in the sequence of their DNA. 
that belongs only to you. We are remarkable beings. Science has not proven evolution, and it has not disproved the Bible. The Bible is absolutely true. But that's the first thing our culture is attacking because there's a, a war on the word. Always has been. But it's accelerating in its intensity. Second thing we get from Genesis 1 is, and this is under attack too. Bible says that God made mankind in two genders, male and female in Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. And we would have never thought in this country that we can't call boys and girls boys and girls who would have ever thought that Disneyland would no longer welcome ladies and gentlemen because they are afraid of offending someone and let me add we have compassion for those who are confused in their sexual identity but we love you enough to tell you the truth so that you won't years later think some surgery will will eliminate your confusion and frustration it will only add to it. I think the coming catastrophe, there will be a great harvest of young men and women in the years to come that we've allowed them to, to dismember their body. It's, it's unthinkable what's happening. But I want you to see just the, just the first chapter, not the first book, not the Pentateuch, the first chapter why would I contend for it? Because if we can't trust the first chapter, why even rest with the mess, mess with the rest of it? The third thing that we see the, is that God made marriage between, between one man and one woman. And that's been true for thousands of years up until 2015 when the Supreme Court redefined marriage. And you can't redefine marriage. Marriage is defined by God. Marriage is the foundational institution in society. It's before church. It's before government and education. And world history tells us that as marriage goes, so goes the culture. So goes society. Can you believe that just 19 years before the Supreme Court ruled, it was President Bill Clinton that signed the Defense of Marriage Act 1996, of all people, Bill Clinton signed the defense of marriage contract. 1942, Harvard-educated psychologist Carl Zimmerman wrote the book Family and Civilization. He studied Rome, Greece, Babylon, and every other civilized culture. In it, he gave eight signs of a declining civilization. And he said, number one sign in every society or civilization that has been destroyed the first sign is the loss of marriage sacredness when the marriage is no longer seen sacred children are conceived out of wedlock not wanted and then they're dealt with or done away with and it's in that step right there that God will not allow a culture to continue and so when we look at God's word and we realize the war that's going on for God's word, Candace and I, Saturday a week ago, were out in Dallas at um, the Tipping Point Prophecy Conference with Jimmy Evans. And Jimmy shared these things, 10 reasons why Satan hates the word of God. And you go, why at a prophecy conference? 
because he wants us to realize how true and how powerful the prophetic word of God is in the end time. And so I want to share these 10 things that Jimmy Evans shared. Number one, Satan hates the word of God because the word of God is God. If you took all of my words and all you, you never met me, but you heard the recording of every conversation I've ever had, you wouldn't know me because the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. John 1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Satan hates the, the word of God because when he hears the word of God, even in your mouth, he hears the voice of God. He knows the power of God. Second reason Satan hates the word of God is the word of God is the most powerful force in the universe. Hebrews 11 verse 3 says, and if you're taking pictures at the end, we'll have all 10 of these up at one time and um, you can rest from having to act like the paparazzi. Um, <laughs> and we'll make it easy on you, I promise you. Or if you want the notes, you can email us and we'll, we'll give them to you. But secondly, Hebrews 11.3 says, The worlds were framed by the word of God. A few years ago, I preached a series called You've Been Framed by the Word of God, if you'll receive it. Satan hates the word because it's the most The Hubble telescope, all the things that we can see throughout all the universe came into being by the voice of God. It's incredible to think. Matthew 4, Jesus defeated Satan with three little verses. Matthew 24, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, which is a ludicrous proposition. He said, but my word will never pass away. Hear me, hear me, hear me. Satan fears a believer who knows the word. Satan can only work in a wordless environment. Satan can only defeat you after he has disarmed you. The third reason why Satan hates the word of God is the word of God exalts God. And Satan has... Since the fall, he's wanted to be exalted over God. In Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15, write about this. Satan actually believes that he's going to be able to, through the work of the Antichrist, that somehow he may gain the upper hand over God. And the word tells us otherwise. And he hates striving in a losing battle. The fourth reason Satan hates the word of God is the word of God exposes Satan for who he is. And listen, his most effective work in your life is when he's working in your life and you think it's your wife or your husband. He works covertly. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against, we work, wrestle against Satan. And he constantly gets us off center thinking it's somebody else or something else. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 says that Satan has disguised himself as an angel of light. I don't have time to break that down, but that's just powerful. That he, he doesn't come with a pitchfork and a red Halloween costume. He, he comes as a pretty sweet lady or a handsome man showing you attention. He comes as a job promotion opportunity. Sometimes he comes and confuses and he hates the word of God because the word of God tells us what his strategy is, how he works. Jesus said, Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have a life. Fifth reason that Satan hates the word of God is the word of God prophesies Satan's ultimate defeat in Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 10. And how many of you are glad it prophesies and we're holding on to that hope and we know that prophecy is going to come true, that ultimately Satan is going to be dealt with. 
Number six, the word of God sets people free from Satan's control. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Hear this verse. If you don't know this one on your hard drive, put it, put it on. Psalm 107, verse 20. God says, I sent my word and healed your diseases. Satan hates the word of God because it sets us free. Um, Luke chapter 10, Jesus, the words of Jesus, verses 17 through 20 said, look, I'm giving you authority all the, over all the power of the enemy. You, and this is Jesus just like rubbing it in his nose. You, you'll be able to walk over snakes and scorpions and crush them and nothing will injure you. Satan hates when the word of God gets to the people of God and they start acting in the authority that God's given us in his word. The seventh reason is he hates the word of God because the word of God empowers believers to overcome Satan and all of his forces. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 through 17. And you know the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith, sword of the spirit, belt of truth, shoes of peace, the gospel, praying in the spirit on all occasions. And only one of those is an offensive weapon. What is it? The word, the sword of the spirit. The rhema, the word of God. Not only what God has said, but what he's saying. And that's my prayer in this room today. That everybody here will hear not only something God said in history, but something he's saying to you today. Because you're going to need it to, to move the chains against the enemy. Are y'all out there? Hallelujah. Verse number, uh, number eight. He hates the word of God because the word of God reconciles man to God. And undoes what the devil did in the Garden of Eden to divide us from him. 2 Corinthians 5, 18. God has reconciled us and given us the ministry of reconciliation. And therefore, whoever be in Christ is a brand new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Satan hates for us to know that we've been reconciled to God or that we can be reconciled to God. Number nine, the word of God promotes grace and hope and overcomes condemnation and fear. And that's a biggie because fear he uses. It's probably, besides deception, fear is the greatest weapon he uses against us. He doesn't want us to know, 1 John 4, 18 and 19, where it says, there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. And we love because God first loved us. And then number 10, and lastly, Satan hates the word of God because the word of God promotes love and unity and overcomes hate and division. 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter. These three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of all of them is love. He hates it when people are unified. Everybody listen. Anytime people are together, Holy Spirit is at work. Anytime people are being divided, Satan is at work. This is why Paul said in Galatians 3, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female. We're all one in Christ. And if we've been bought by the blood of Jesus, we've been adopted. We're sons and daughters of Abraham. How many of you are thankful that you are one in Christ? And all the isms, racism, we've been healed from it and set free. Now, those are the 10 reasons Satan hates the word of God. Why would I share that in a series called, wait, what? I would share it with you because every reason why Satan hates the Word of God is a reason why you should love the Word of God. <laughs> That's why I share it. Now, I'm getting ready to share four things, and they, this is just 
unorthodox, but I feel like the Lord wants to say something to you. And it's kind of a little bit of reminders of the last few weeks and tying some things together. The first I want to remind you is, I think it was last week, I told you about the Greek word in the New Testament that is used for the word truth. And that it actually means unhidden. And so, living in the natural, without knowledge of God or His Spirit in us, or Him being able to reveal things and us pick up on it, truth is hidden. So we live in a matrix, not literally, augmented reality. We feel like things are real. We think reality is reality when it's actually not reality. And even right now, one of the greatest things that's happening in our world right now in all of the chaos and confusion is lies are being exposed. And that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. And that's evidence that God is at work. Jesus said, everything done in secret, uh, it'll be revealed out in the open. How many of you know, and I'm not, we can get political, but it's not just political. Thank God corruption's being exposed. Thank God crime and violence and crazy ideologies are being exposed. And thank God pastors are having to make a choice. You can't straddle the fence anymore. You gotta choose right or wrong. You gotta choose the Bible or another way. That's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. All this, your best life now and all this man-centered gospel, it needs to be exposed. We have too many churches where people can come in harboring sin and go for years and not have any conviction. Jesus said the Holy Spirit came to convict the world of sin and righteousness. How many of you are thankful that God is exposing and truth is coming out? The Greek word translated truth is aletheia. Aletheia is the state of not being hidden, the state of being evident. It literally means unhidden. We live in a matrix. We live in a false world. You know, it, I, when I think about this, I think in the late 80s, early 90s, when I was right out of college, Frank Peretti's novels, um, Piercing the Darkness. If you ever read them, you can't unread them. You see things in the realm of the Spirit. And people need to see the things that are not seeable to the natural eye. But how many of you are thankful? You are full of the Spirit, and the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And the Spirit leads you in truth, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. How many of you are thankful? It's not unhidden to you, or it is unhidden. Number two. Second thing I want to say to you, please, everybody, put your spiritual thinking cap on. I want you today to see the link between spirit and truth. Most people have never realized all throughout the Bible, Old Testament and, in, and New Testament, we read it so, with such linear eyes and I want you to notice that when you see the word spirit in the Bible, somewhere in that same verse, you'll see the word or the concept of truth or a verse right before it or right after it or some indirect reference to what the spirit does reveals truth. Anytime you see the word truth, 
Somewhere around it, it's couched in truth is revealed or present because the Holy Spirit conceived it and brought it into the light. And if people could just understand, and we need to understand it to be able to, to walk in truth. A couple months ago, Banks, our, our son who leads the, the um, you just saw him, the uh, young adults ministry. Oh, I, I pray every young person and not so young person will hear me right now. Banks came to me and said, Dad, and it was in a moment of just honest conversation. He goes, why don't Christians just read the Bible and do what it says? And I remember as a pastor's son growing up, just being frustrated, like, why don't, why are Christians, why don't they just act like Christians? Still, it, it just boggles your mind. You're like, how are you so self-defeating all the time? You know why Christians, why Christians don't read the Bible and do what it says? One of two things. Either one, they, they don't read the Bible, so they don't know what it says. And that's, a, that's the real virus. Biblical illiteracy. Are y somebody say a good amen and just tell somebody I think he's talking about me and you too. But I, if, he dif, if he disarms you, he defeats you. Flip side though, if you're armed, you're victorious. And so the spirit and truth. The second reason why Christians don't just read the Bible and do what it says is they don't have enough Holy Spirit capacity. Everybody listen. They, so, so many Christians live out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's not enough. Then that makes you a legalistic, a loveless truth person. You, you know what's right and wrong. And this is where a lot of Christians live. And because you know what's right and you know what's wrong, you're able to place judgment on situations that bring death and not life. And that's why, the Holy, that's why you need to have knowledge of what the Bible says and a little Holy Spirit oil because that's the capacity. Hear me, somebody. I'm speaking to somebody. When you have oil, Holy Spirit, capacity, and you know here's what the Bible says you should, say, should do or not do, and your flesh goes, I don't want to do that. I want to do this. That Holy Spirit capacity says, you rise up over your flesh and tell your flesh, not today. We're going to do what the Bible says. Listen, are y'all, that's as simple as I can get, but that's the absolute truth. And so people who know the Bible, if you don't keep oil in your lamp, you don't, Christians follow their flesh all the time. And we have to see this beautiful picture all throughout scripture, listen, I could give you not dozens of verses and places in the Bible. I could give you hundreds. I trimmed away, I don't know how many today, just to get it to one, two, three, four, five. It's all through Scripture. You see the Spirit, you see truth. You see truth, you see the Spirit. Even the first place. Listen, the first three verses of the Bible, it says, in the beginning God created. And then it says this, there was Please catch this picture. There was darkness. The world was formless, void, empty, chaotic. But the Holy Spirit was hovering, waiting for what? 
God to speak. And God spoke, and he said, let there. And he's, so every time God speaks, truth, word, reality, the Holy Spirit is the executor of, he's the one that follows through on what God says. And then you see it all through Scripture. Luke chapter 1. I hope you're getting what I'm saying. How many of you so far, you're still with me? Because we're going, we're going deep. So the angel Gabriel comes from heaven. And you've heard me share this dozens of times, but it, it's a template for you. The angel comes and says, I have a word from God. This is reality. This is true. Mary, 14, 15-year-old virgin, you will conceive and give birth to the Messiah. And Mary says, okay, that's the word, but how? That's impossible. And the angel, with the word from the Lord, the sermon to, says, oh, that's easy. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. There's truth and spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to conceive in you. There's going to be a second. You're not pregnant, and the next second you are. And she said, okay, may it be unto me according to your word. And she, here's her, here's her um, posture. I am the Lord's servant. So ever how he wants, and this is how you receive the word and truth. You go, May it serve his ultimate purpose in my life. Are y'all out there? So, so I'm the Lord's servant. If that's what he says, that's what he wants, I receive that. And that second, who's conceived? The truth. The way, the life. Not just for Mary. For everybody. We're here today because the Spirit conceives something in a little poor single girl engaged to a little calloused hand carpenter, the Messiah. And we see this. And then the truth, Jesus grows up. And then he says, and this is the circular Holy Spirit comes to conceive Jesus in you and the Holy Spirit comes to magnify Jesus. And Jesus comes to say thank you and don't forget that's the spirit of truth. He will lead you in reality, unhiddenness. Jesus in John 15 says, me the person of truth, I'm getting ready to leave, but when I leave I'll send the spirit and he is the spirit of truth. John 14, 2 Corinthians, here we see it again. Paul said, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, freedom. You only have liberty and freedom because the truth has done its work in your life. John 14, 16, Jesus says, and I'll ask the Father, listen to me, listen. He says, there's things I'd like to tell you that you're not ready to receive. That's a the ultimate consummate teacher, Jesus. You can't break it down for us? He said, no, but when the Holy Spirit comes, he will lead you 
beyond where I can lead you. Are y'all out there? This is why he said, you're going to do greater works than me because I'm going to the Father and he's coming to you and going to be in you, not just with you. We see this over and over and over. And so when you receive like Mary and go, I don't know how that can happen. Everybody listen. In every great word of promise over your life is the text for this series. You wouldn't believe it if he told you. That's why you need the Holy Spirit to overshadow you and say, stop thinking like a human being. You're a child of God, filled with my spirit, divine purpose. I'm calling everybody up higher today. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying because we're going to a higher place. The, the world's calling. God's anointed us for such a time as this to have a series of just miracles, signs, and wonders because there's spirit and in truth just being multiplied in our lives and in this place. That's why Satan hates the word. You know, um, so let me illustrate it just real quick. I've told you my story. I was raised in a small town, small, small church. Mom, my dad was a pastor. In my teen years, I was a typical athlete and nothing special, but just, you know, I was a guy. In my teen years, I liked girls. I even liked looking at pretty ones, you know. And teenage boys, every one of them, you go through, lust can just be crippling. And it was in my 10th grade year that I made a commitment. I didn't have a youth pastor. We didn't even have a youth group. But I just made a commitment. I'm going to read the Bible every day. And I didn't read the Bible to check off. I read three chapters a day or even one chapter. I don't know where it came from except I got baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was 11 years old. And I don't know what your theology is, but for me, it was a real thing. And when I was 16 in 10th grade, I said, I'm going to read the Bible. And, I'm only, I'm, and this, this is how the Bible calls the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the advocate, the counselor. He was in me. And he said, he led me to read the Bible until I heard God say something to me. I'm not talking about audible. Sometimes it'd be two chapters. Sometimes it'd be one. Sometimes it would be three verses. And I learned the discipline, not being smart or having anybody disciple me, having the Holy Spirit go. Those three verses, just sit on that for tonight. And something got into me. My next year, I'll never forget fall of that year. And I'm just going to be real and vulnerable. You know, Girls back then wore clothes. They were tight, but they wore clothes. I, poor guys today, Lord Jesus, help us all. Old men help us all too. We got to see that too. And the Holy Spirit said, why don't you start look, not looking at a girl below her shoulders? That didn't come from anywhere except... Holy Spirit and truth in me. No one ever told me. I bet it was 15 years before I ever shared that. I didn't even realize what was happening to me. What am I ill? And sometimes I would go to school and I, I could make it a whole day, sometimes two days. And it wasn't some white knuckle legalistic, you know. It was just, there she comes. Don't do it. And you're like, you can survive it. 
You know how freeing that is? To not be controlled by lust at 16, 17 years. How did that happen? Wow, we have such a disciplined pastor. Even at 16 (laughs) years old, he got set free from lust. Uh Uh-uh. You have an amazing God who speaks his word of truth and sends his spirit. And anybody here today goes, Pastor Chuck, what a fuddy-duddy. It's not the first look that'll get you. It's the second look. Really? What if you could get set free from the first look too, sir? It's getting quiet up in here. (laughs) Are y'all picking up what I'm putting down though? Could we just speak that? Uh, Just Lord, let your spirit advocate and counsel. Be our paraclete. Give us traction in this world that we live in by your truth and by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Third, and this will probably be the final point of the four, I want you to understand that Scripture is God-breathed. Paul said that all Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, is God-breathed. Everybody look, and that's Paul going in the Septuagint, the Greek interpretation of the Old Testament, which was originally written in Hebrew, Paul is going, Scripture is, and remember, he was a terrorist, and now he's writing the Bible. He's an authority on this. And he goes, all Scriptures God breathed, because I know how this is coming out of my hand. All Scriptures God breathed. And he uses the word from Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where it says, God breathed into Adam the breath of life. And and he comes over here and he says, all scripture is God exhaling life into us. Scripture is God breathed. Are y'all picking up what I'm putting down? Now, think about, all right, I have to illustrate it. So this is how I've always done it. God does this. And there we have the breath of God. And when we do this, we have life. And when we go, and if y'all go, you have life. Are you out there? Don't do it now, it's still COVID. But and when you go out there and you go, this is, this is when you go, I'm going to speak life over my children. Because I've got the, the, God's exhale is in me and his spirit. And now what comes out of me, this is why Satan hates the word. When you speak God's word, it's as if God is there speaking it. Because it's his word coming through you just like Mary was birthed. Jesus was birthed through Mary. Come on, somebody, just thank God for the marvelous principles of his word. Let me keep moving just real quick. Hebrews 4.12. You've heard this. The word of God is alive and active. And it's not really, it it could be better translated. The the Greek word zao, Z-A-O, for the word is alive. That describes it like adjective. It's, It's a verb. And it means the word is lifing. 
It's like, are y'all picking? So the word is life-giving. It's not just alive. It's life-giving. The germ that God spreads, and you pick up, is a contagious germ. Dead things come to life. The Bible is alive and active. And that's why it says it separates the joint. It can get down into your marrow of your bones and bring life there. I know where I'm going. Are y'all picking up what I'm putting down? Because I need you to pick it up quickly. I want to get there. Y'all picking up? Jesus goes, if you remain in me and my word remains in you, think think of how much he trusts his word. If you remain in me and you let my word remain in you, ask whatever you want. I will do it. Why don't we take him up on that offer? If you remain in me, Proverbs 18, the power of life and death in the tongue. Mark 11, Jesus says, if you say to this mountain, and the whole story is at first he says, have faith in God. Everybody listen. It's what, right after he's cursed the fig tree and the disciples go, wait, what? And he goes, have faith. And you'll be able to say to them, have faith. How do you get faith? Hearing the word. Let the word get in you. You'll have faith. And you can say to the mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. (laughs) Y'all, why don't Christians read the Bible and do what it says? (laughs) So Proverbs 18, 21. Just a couple quick stories. And I'm going to close. Um, I, w- I want to read a text that came from a, a father in our church just this past Monday. Good morning, Pastor Chuck. I know it's early. I was sitting here in Jamaica. Wow, bless his heart. <laughs> this is last Monday. And he says, listening to your sermon from yesterday, exclamation point. Great sermon, by the way, on points. And so on point, it touched me down here. I've really been struggling. I had to ask him to share his daughter's miraculous story at six years old, how she was healed from leukemia. He said, I've actually been struggling with how to share the story because there are so many things that happened that God did and used over that time when she was in treatment. That time is so very emotional for me, not in a bad way, not in a wrecked or brokenhearted way, but in a way where I feel so unworthy of what he did and so utterly thankful. My words could never effectively communicate the depth of my gratefulness, but I was sitting here, listen to this, I was sitting here listening to your sermon that God gave me, And God spoke as you were speaking to me. And that's what a good sermon should do. Are y'all picking up what I'm putting down? Even if you're on fall break in Jamaica. And God spoke as you were speaking to me and said, it's all about my word. The word I spoke to you, the word you spoke over her. The word I spoke to you, he said, It's about my word. Oh, my. 
He said, it's about my word. My word was sent. You read it over her. You taught her my word. You got in agreement with my word. And my word transformed, healed, delivered, and saved her. What Satan meant for evil, I meant for good. Now go tell them about my word. And then thank you for being obedient. Caroline was getting married in COVID. And all the wedding facilities had a small number. And she wanted to get married over at Free Chapel in the chapel. Beautiful facility. Candace's cousin is Jensen. And we thought, man, they're not opening it up. And they do. It's, it's like for 80 people or something. And Caroline's like, I want to have it there. And I'm just believing the Lord. And the week before her wedding, they had still not been cleared from their attorneys and insurance people. And Caroline's like, I, I want to get married at Free Chapel. And so we pulled all the family tricks we could, got Candace's mother to call her sister and tell Jensen, come on, man, it's family, you know. And um, then two weeks out, it's a 100% chance of rain. It's like fall tornado season. And part of the wedding is outside. And Caroline, now Ogle, she said, it's not going to rain. I'm going to have my wedding at Free Chapel in the chapel and all my family and friends are going to be there. And I would look at Candace and go, you going to tell her? Like, <laughs> it's a 100% chance of rain, and it's COVID, and the world is shut down. And so, Caroline, she, I tried to, like, prep her, like, honey, I know it's your wedding. You've been looking forward, and we're all excited. It's going to be, and she was like, Dad, stop it. Like, I know I've taught you that the power of, and she's like, Dad, stop it. Please, I can't, don't say it. It's not going to rain. I'm going to have my wedding at Free Chapel. The next day, the day right before the wedding, I promise you, it's like a 100% chance of rain, like four inches coming. It's, it's like all of Gainesville, the lake might flood. We may not, and she's, and it drops to 90%. And she goes, Dad, it's down to 90% chance. <laughs> it's a true story. It's a miraculous thing for us. And I'm like, honey, 90% normally means. She, she would tell me, Dad, I, if she would do what I used to do, like, I don't want to hear it. I'm telling you, we woke up the day of her wedding. It was overclassed and, and over. Cast and cloudy. In the afternoon, it wasn't so much. At six o'clock, the wedding party's up front. She and I are about to come through that door. We get about a third to maybe halfway down that aisle, and every cloud in Gainesville, Georgia, just parts. And that those glasses all around that beautiful building, that sun filled that place. And I nearly fell over. Caroline looked at me like, and I'm like, honey, you're going to have to carry me. You know, you may go, come on, Pastor Chuck. Let me tell you one more story in the last 24 hours. We live out in the barn and we have a big family and there's graduation parties and weddings and and so we have a commercial refrigerator. It's one full refrigerator, and another side is 
uh, the freezer and it just hasn't worked well we've had people come out and try and fix it and we need it fixed because it's got my Trader Joe's ice cream in it that I've got stored up till like March and uh, came in last night it was runny and it's like a milkshake and the last couple days it's been like or something like that and we're like oh I was in the barn last night. They were in Cleveland coming back from one of our grandson's birthdays. And, and I'm studying for this sermon. The Lord says to me, why don't you pray for your refrigerator? I'm serious. Just like that, I thought, well, because I was texting with the guy. Could you get over here this weekend? The Lord just said, given what you're going to be preaching tomorrow, why don't you just exercise your faith? And so I looked around, <laughs> and I, put, I walked over there and put my hands on that refrigerator. And I said, you foul spirit of broken down refrigerator, I cast you out. I'm serious. And I began to talk to and pray and I got passionate. And I went back and studied a little bit and came back about an hour later. And I promise you to God's honest truth. And it was, it seemed like it was purring a little louder. And the Lord said, you're going to contend for it? I said, I am. And that time I ratcheted it up. And I said, in the name of Jesus, I take authority. And you know that place in your heart where you go, I ain't just praying right now. I'm emotionally invested. I'm spiritually. Y'all know what I'm talking about. We pray too much without that. And I said, I got to preach this tomorrow. And if you don't do this, God, I'm not going to preach it. I put God on the spot. And he was like, no, this is your problem, not mine. I prayed, went to bed. I couldn't sleep. That thing was purring. I woke up this morning. I went down there before 5 o'clock. That thing was quiet as a mouse. The temperature was back down to zero. I said, Candace, I got to tell you before I preach this this morning. You didn't have the repairman come last night, did you? And she said, no. I said, God healed that refrigerator. So she goes, if you're going to tell me that, i got to tell you this. I'm out helping Erica. Her husband's in the Army. He's away. She's got two preschoolers, toddler and preschooler. And she goes out to help. And Ramsey, the little 18-month-old, is there with just Candace and him. Erica's gone. She turns on her curling iron. You know what happened. Ramsey goes in there. He walks out of the bathroom. And she said, you could see the blister swelling up on his hand immediately. Come here, honey. You didn't do it in the first service. You can do this a lot more justice than me. Give it up for Candace. You saw those blisters and what happened? Yes, I did. And, you know, this has been a really hard year for me. And I have lived on every word. Rhema, every single day, God has been so faithful to give that to me. But what I didn't realize what he had done was he had really increased my faith. And I went out there to be a help. Come on, you grandmas. Like, that's what we're, we're, I'm like, and I saw that Ramsey has a broken arm. Like, I mean, she's been through it with this kid. And I was like, no, 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 no. Not today. Satan, you're a liar. You're not going to do this to my grandson. Be healed in the name of Jesus. And I began to declare the word of the Lord and thanking God for his healing. And would you believe his hand is 
was perfectly normal when I looked at it. To God be all the glory, I kid you not. And you know, it just increased my faith all the more. And, and, and God spoke to me and said, you know, you overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. And I'm giving you this to share, to increase the faith of the believers. And Chuck had no idea this happened. We, I just got home and, and I didn't know he was preaching the sermon. And so in the first service, and again, I didn't know he was going to ask me to do this. And in the first service at the end, you said, what is God speaking to you? And he said, be, strong, be bold, be strong. The Lord, my God, is with you wherever you go. And so I want you to be encouraged that he can do that for you too. Come on, praise the Lord. Thank you, honey. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, what God is doing this morning, this is more than refrigerators and little toddlers' blisters. For some of you, it's, it's a marriage. It's cancer. For some of you, it's a wayward son that's strung out. For some of you, it's you haven't had a day of real hope in a while. And God is doing this. Are you right now going, I take that in. Are you here? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Os Hillman, over you right now, we just, in the name of Jesus, you sent that picture. You, she said, y'all aren't coming to church today. Had open heart surgery a month ago. Quadruple bypass and, and been trying to get back to church. Thank you for coming today. In the name of Jesus, may God finish that healing. In the name of Jesus. Are you hearing what God's saying? The last picture that I'll share with you. God, there's, there's miracles. There are miracles that can be conceived in this atmosphere. Ezekiel, you know the story probably. It's, God took him out to a valley of dry bones. Not just dead people, but emaciated. The only thing left are the bones. And they're dry. Y'all see the desperation. The, this is a difficult situation. And look what the Bible says. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, look, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. What happened? Exactly that in the vision, they came to life. This morning, whatever your context is, sons and daughters, young adults, I just, I sense his McKenna in Jesus' name. There is, God's calling you to focus you are being prepared for greatness, for excellence. Shine, Joseph. No weapon formed against you will prosper in the name of Jesus. There, Stuart, the best days of your life are not behind you. They are in front of you in the name of Jesus. You have been faithful. You keep standing in the name of Jesus. Joel, in the name of Jesus, you're a visionary. You see big things. Keep dreaming. Keep doing this to the Word of God. Y'all hearing what God's saying to you this morning? Come on, stand, and would you just raise your hands and just tell the Lord, I receive it. Just inhale what His Word is exhaling right now. In your context, come on, dry bones, hear the Word of the Lord. 
If you Google just that term, hear the word of the Lord, it's amazing the passages that come up in the Old and New Testament. Hear the word of the Lord. Receive the word of the Lord. I just thank you, Father. I, I feel like there's a real calling right now for dreams that people have given up on, that God is speaking new life into those situations. And just raise your hands right now. Tell the Lord, I'm your servant. May it be unto me according to your word. Let faith rise, faith that contends, faith that says, I'm not going to accept halfway. I'm going to believe you for the miracle in the name of Jesus. Even over our nation, over our church, over our community, in the name of Jesus, dry bones are going to receive new life in the name of Jesus. In the name, there's an anointing available to young men, single men, even right now. The Holy Spirit is imparting to some of you a call to be a young man of the Word, to be full of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, come on, somebody. Praise your name, Lord. We magnify you, Jesus. What are you? Oh, come on, my soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. You've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. Come on, my soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. You've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and Just breathe in the atmosphere of heaven. Breathe in the atmosphere of faith. Just receive his word. Lord, I receive your word, your spirit. You're calling us all to a higher level of faith in you, higher level of authority. In the name of Jesus, we thank you for such a time as this. You are increasing the glory that you're pouring out in your church. You're increasing the anointing and favor and blessing on the church. For such a time as this, we thank you for the shift that's happening in our life, in our world, in the nation. We thank you for the shift that's happening in the church in America. We thank you for the awakening that's coming in the name of Jesus. We prophesy to dry bones, come to life. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, let everything that has breath. 
Praise the Lord. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. We magnify you, Jesus. We magnify you, Jesus. We magnify you, Lord. Just catch a vision. A few years before my mother passed away, she called me. I was at lunch at Ted's at Avalon. And they said, Chuck, she, you need to get here. I raced to South Forsyth, got her to the hospital. They got her in the ER. As soon as we got there, they, they checked her vitals and you could see on their face, they were like, get her in there. As soon as she laid back on that table, within one minute, they lost her for 12 to 15 seconds. And without even thinking about it, I moved to the foot of her bed and I pointed to her and I wasn't even thinking about it. I began to pray in the Holy Spirit. There was a little nurse, a male nurse from Jamaica. And when my mother came back, he said to her, your son just saved your life. And it was a guy from the islands who understood the power of God and the power of the heavenly language. And you go, I've looked, I've thought back on that without even, what was that? The Spirit of God in me moving me over to pray a, a language that I couldn't understand, a perfect prayer. And I believe it resurrected my mother up and she was able to live for three more years after just, and my dad was standing there. We had that kind of power. When they put her in the hospital for pneumonia and we couldn't get in there and we lost her. If I could have gotten in there, I believe with all my heart, if I could have gotten in there and prayed over my mother, somehow I believe she'd still be here today. I don't know if that's true or not. What I'm talking to you about is a faith in prayer that moves mountains. I'm tired of this wimpy North Atlanta, North American kind of negotiate with the enemy and hope God breaks through. He has given us power and authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm us. Hear me, tell yourself your adult daughter is not too far gone. Command the enemy. Tell her, you don't have to tell her to her face, but you pray it. You call her back home. Your young adult son, your teenage son, they're not too far gone. Are y'all out there with me? This is the faith God's wanting to raise up in the name of Jesus. And so Lord, we just thank you, Father. We pray, Lord, for the miracle of the little six-year-old who was miraculously healed from leukemia. We give you praise for that. And we thank you, Father, that that's common in the kingdom. That's the kind of work you do without even giving a great effort. That's your nature. You heal things. You resurrect things. You mend things. You restore things. You breathe life and dead things come alive. And this morning, Lord, we get alive to your word, alive to your purpose in us, in the strong, mighty name of Jesus. Satan is a liar. You are victorious. You are an overcomer. 
You haven't seen anything yet. If God told you what he has prepared for you now, you wouldn't believe it. But you hold on in the name of Jesus. Don't make me have church up here all by myself. Are y'all out there? In the name of Jesus, the Lord, the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. May he lift his countenance up on you and give you peace. Let this peace rule in your hearts. In Jesus' name. Come on, say I receive it. Turn again and tell somebody, Maranatha. Come on, my soul. Oh, don't you get shy. Lift up your song. you got a lie inside.